Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. My name's Imran, TJ Sutherland, Dan Colacott, with new episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month. Catch Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned into another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind podcast. My name is Imran. Thank you very much for your time and your company uh, for today's episode. Uh, today's episode will see us delving deep uh, into um, something. I suppose that is a uh, it is a topical conversation. I think it makes a nice companion uh, topic to episode twenty five, where we discussed uh, kind of contemporary. Uh, modern day conspiracy theories and the war on facts. So this is episode 26 and this is going to see myself, Dan Colicott and TJ Sutherland address the question, does freedom of speech actually exist? Uh, as we said, this is sort of a, it's a topical and timely conversation. Um, and it's going to be interesting to kind of deep dive into uh, whether the notion of freedom of speech is actually a fallacy and something that can't possibly exist by its intended definition, or if it's uh, legitimately an infinitesimal building block uh, that props up uh, Western democracy. So um, we're not going to delve, jump, we're not going to jump straight in to that question. Uh, what I thought would be fun is to ask each of you firstly. What does freedom of speech mean to you? So I'm going to turn to TJ Sutherland first, if I may. How are you, sir? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, hmm, what does freedom of speech mean to me? I think it's, to me, freedom of speech is more of an ideal than it is an actual thing, if that makes sense. So obviously it's the ideal of, you know, not being, <coughs> excuse me, not being uh, curtailed in any way, uh, being able to say what is on your mind freely without fear of, you know, reproach or recrimination. Um, you know, the ability to be open and candid about, uh, whatever it is you're speaking about, uh, the ability to be critical of, you know, of everything and everyone, uh, if you feel, if you feel the need to be. Um, and yeah, to me, it's, you know, but in reality, obviously that in itself can be perverted in any number of ways. So um, I think for me, it's it's more of an ideal and more of a, a kind of, I don't know, a kind of guideline. But the reality is that, you know, true freedom of speech does, you know, true freedom of speech isn't, isn't completely isn't completely free or isn't completely limitless to a certain extent um you know the reality is that some forms of speech are curtailed perhaps should be curtailed depending on who you who depending on who who's saying it or who or who you ask um so yeah i think it's a it's not a it's not a black and white thing it's uh various shades of gray freedom of speech as an ideal i think is a is is a really great answer um it's a, it's a very very good answer you did say a couple of things I, I desperately want to pick up on but i'm going to quickly go to dan uh if i may for his his version of what freedom of speech means what is what do you, what does he take that term to mean um oh. well i don't think it exists really anymore 
Podcast over, gang. Cheers. Thanks very much for tuning in. I'm going to go to the pub, so I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. When you so say anything more, that's interesting. But sorry, go on. Go on, finish what you're saying. Well, I just think there's so many. It's all about language and context. And I think that it's got so narrow by definition that what language means and how it can be misconstrued, quickly misconstrued and interpreted the wrong way. And it's almost like we've got a clash of cultures and generations who are all sort of meeting in one sort of storm of, I don't know, of, of ideals and notions and, and kind of accepted definitions. And so many of those definitions seem to be changing and evolving, which is, you know, potentially a, a good thing. I don't know if, you know, I've probably referred to Stuart Lee before. He's, he does a fantastic um, sketch about political correctness gone mad. And I do think that freedom of speech does need to be curtailed because it does need to be adapted for its audience and show show some level of understanding and respect for for kind of context and how it's applied but you know it's all down to social media and the fact that millions of people now have a have a voice and opinion that's shared online, and those online elements are being uh, printed, you know, quoted and printed by newspapers and other online websites. So it, it it's very difficult to pick out a sense of freedom uh, amongst that many voices amongst that many interpretations, evolving de- definitions, you know, general kind of changes in how we talk to each other, how we define each other and how we define our experiences and our lives. So I know that's quite deep, but it, it feels it's very difficult to walk a line where you're saying what you what you need to do, what you're free to say, without offending someone somewhere in some way another fine fine answer so i guess you i mean you've also now said a couple of things that I'm, i'd love to come back on but before i do we have I, I sourced a couple of uh definitions for for what it actually means so they've got the oxford dictionary which is the power or right to express one's opinions without censorship restraint or legal penalty uh we have the wikipedia definition which is almost exactly the same it's uh the freedom uh of an individual or community to articulate their opinions and ideas without fear of retaliation censorship or legal sanction uh amnesty.org uh, had a really interesting take on it about freedom of speech you know addresses that right to say what whatever you like what whenever you like about whatever you like uh but it says that's actually incorrect and the freedom of speech is the right to seek receive and impart information and ideas of all kinds by any means now that's such an interesting take on it because it takes the conversation out of our western social media-esque bubble 
and it for that that comment takes me to countries uh uh like say russia or china or north korea where that right to search you know for 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 opinions and perspectives with blocked websites and uh you know ideals that are enforced upon it's public that's that takes the concept of freedom of speech to an entirely different conversation whereas our western bubble tends to focus on who said what on twitter <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> is that i like kind of I, no it's i oh go ahead go ahead teach no no sorry so finish what you're gonna say because I, I was gonna go in a slightly different direction but go ahead yeah, well, um, well, it's just a sort of the, that as the definition, but to take that definition, because the, the popular one about to say what you want to say without uh, a fear of retaliation or, or censorship or legal sanction, surely that by just that, that caveat means it doesn't exist. There's no, there's no possibility that that freedom of speech could exist with that caveat. Because if it was just to say the the, the right to say whatever you want to say, then fine. That if you put the full stop there. But what the, is freedom of speech? You know, are we saying freedom of speech is the right to say what you want to say unchallenged, or is the perfect utopia to say what you want to say but to have it challenged? It's sort of it's a very cyclical conversation. Is don't you, do you guys think that? Yeah, I mean, I mean. Y- to to me that you can't expect to in the real in the real world you can't expect to have f- true uh, some level of uh true freedom of speech without uh the possibility that you will be you know you will be either criticized for it or i mean again it depends on what your what level of recrimination you're talking about if it's you know if it is you being challenged or someone saying no that's wrong or no you can't or no you shouldn't say that you know that's one form of challenge if you're talking about being neutered to the point where you could be arrested and uh and again it's it all goes into you know I was going to say it depends what you say but then that again goes against the ideal of it I mean and and again this is why I say it you know I don't I don't necessarily think freedom of speech is something that is can be really held to the letter of the law or something or you know something along those lines because to me it's it's always it's and again I kind of just to touch upon something that Dan mentioned earlier you know you said that um you don't think it exists anymore but did it ever exist at any point in any time in history in in reality i mean like you know, since the dawn of time, people have said things and uh, that have upset a certain subset of, of um, you know, civilization and um, can be challenged or can be locked up for things that they've said. So, you know, I think I think the idea of freedom of speech has, has been around for forever. Um, and I think it's just changed and adapted as language and cultures and societies have changed and evolved as they've gone along. Absolutely. I think that it changes the conversation. I think when, when Dan said it could have existed sort of at one point, mm. I, I did look at social media as being one of the, the determining factors that kind of erased it because it literally, as Dan said, gave every single person with a laptop or a screen uh, an mm. opinion. I mean, when you think about 
you know, it, it's literally like you could have, it's a single person's solitary idea that can become a movement. I mean, me too. Yeah. That was a tweet. That was one person's tweet that yeah. became the me too movement. I mean, that, that in guess, itself guess, is it, the power of social media is incredible. Yeah. I guess, I guess social media has given uh, the spoken word, a steroid injection and, and boosted it to the nth degree. <laughs> Well, it's true that's because you know, that's the tagline. The thing about it, like everyone's, you know, everyone's always had an opinion, you know. But you go back to before social media, it was a bunch of guys chatting down in the pub, people talking at the office water cooler, um, you know. <clears throat> excuse me, people meeting in social situations and and just chatting, and you know, word of mouth was spread. It would spread a lot slower. Um, by all means, but you still had, you know, people have always had an opinion. People have always had a voice or the ability to say, to say, you know, to say what they wanted to say. The difference, obviously, with social media is that now you say it, it's not just 15 people that see it, it's 15 million people that see it. And therefore, your word spreads quicker and therefore movements, as you say, spread quicker. That's a good and also a bad thing. Um, you know, I, it's, whether it's been more done more harm than good is perhaps open to debate but you know like anything any, like anything that involves human beings we always have a positive and a negative side to it nothing can be all good or all bad well within reason but um well, yeah I, I think you know looking at it historically when you know when there was uh a time or period where you know women didn't have the vote you know they didn't have a voice uh, politically democratically you know and before that there were different races in different countries who also didn't have a voice didn't have a vote didn't have a say in anything that went on in the country so we've come we've come a long way as a society, you know, as a as a race of human beings, in terms that most people now there's some level of equality to to our voices. Not not <laughs> it's not perfect. It's not certainly not like that in every country. But um, most of Western civilization, you kind of feel like we we've, we've got to the point where we've sort of earned that right. It just feels like the internet, you know, as you said, it's like it, it's put that it's put that right on steroids, and there's not really much in the way of control over those opinions, you know, um, you know, and we we can go into the the subject matter of kind of bullying and cyberbullying and trolling and all those kind of fairly unpleasant. Um, things that can be done anonymously with, you know, with everyone's opinion and voice. But I think what, what really gets to me from a point of view of almost like, you know, what, what almost tempers free speech is that we, we all live in our own bubbles to an extent. And this isn't a COVID-related joke, although it feels even more prevalent now that we're kind of locked down, you know, in one form of existence or another. But 
you only experience, you only know what you experience. So everyone's kind of encounters on a day-to-day basis with other people, you know, it, that, that kind of forms the basis of your experience as well as the things that are passed on to you by your, your family, your parents and other kind of important figures in your life. So that kind of almost frames what you know and what you feel. Yet for some reason, everyone seems to want to jump on any bandwagon where someone else feels persecuted or wronged and they're jumping on that. And it's like, but how do you know? Like, I, I can't, as much as I want to identify and empathize with a lot of people who feel a certain way about a certain thing, I can't really because I'm not them and I'm not experiencing that. Um, so I don't, I don't try. I don't, I don't want to jump on that bandwagon and throw up a load of... Um, hate and bile towards people who are you know who who have wronged <laughs> wronged these people in the in these contexts it's very it, it, it's really strange um it, it's like it's like brexit being a really good example of uh, you know people's opinions that divided families that divided communities that divided people at work because mm-hmm. it almost got point where people couldn't talk about it anymore people couldn't express their opinion um and it's like well okay so therefore it it never felt to me that anyone was able to understand why why they each voted the way they voted because i i you know i I don't understand why why someone a friend or family or someone i've come across voted the way they did because I'm not them uh, and they're not prepared to tell me what in their kind of range of experiences and triggers and how they, you know, felt the way they did to make the decision they make. And that, I don't know, that, that just goes across so much of social media that there's not there's not a healthy exchange of information. It's, it's completely reactionary. It's completely raw. It's completely, you know, emotionally driven communication that that has very little context and that has very little kind of basis in fact of, of what someone felt and why they did, or, you know, did what they did, wrote what they wrote. It's all just, you know, completely led by the most base emotions possible. And and that's why to me it, it's like it's almost like, well, why why bother? Why bother expressing an opinion when you know that, you know, twenty percent of people are gonna hate that opinion. Eighty percent of people might be uh, okay with it or fifty percent are okay with it and fifty percent hate it. But it's always the people that hate your opinion are going to attack you. The ones that agree or the ones that don't care aren't going to do anything. You know, they're not going to type anything in most cases. It's always the people that are triggered, that are emotional, that jump on that social media bandwagon and get in everyone's faces. And I just 
I just can't identify with that. There was um, something sort of to piggy on, piggyback on something you said sort of in the middle of your your, your point about so one of one the, before looking up the actual definition of freedom of speech, what I thought it was going to say was your right to say what you want about what you want, etc., on the grounds that it does not incite anger or 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 sort of racial hatred or anything like that i couldn't find a definition that actually included free free speech and and with that as part of the caveat it's not actually part of it at all which which uh, which which actually really surprised me so it's sort of at what point does freedom of speech become hate speech because well i don't don't think you can i don't think you can have that in you couldn't have that in the description though because it's how do you define that well but then hate speech in theory can't exist as a thing because hate speech is again, by its definition is about uh, uh, making uh, sort of inciting comments based on people's uh, inciting negative comments and hatred towards people of varying uh, religions, gender, sexual orientation or sex. Mm. That's what hate speech is. And hate speech is illegal. Yeah. So it's like yin and yang. You can't have one sort of without the other. So freedom of speech doesn't cater for that as a as the as the out basically that you can't have hate speech. You know, freedom of speech is to say this uh, without inciting uh, or upsetting or angering people. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like well, how it do you, yeah. hate speech can't actually exist. Then it, freedom yeah. of speech is, is the prevalent like, definition. It's, it's and that's the thing. Like we we try and. Uh, this with this sort of this sort of topic, I think people have to make people have to people make their own moral distinctions between what's right, what's acceptable, and what's not. What's acceptable for me may not be acceptable to you, and and so on and so on and so forth. And and that's why this this whole thing is it's almost it's almost impossible. Well, very nearly impossible to legislate for or to like i mean i don't know it's you know you turn around and say oh um you say something and it offends a group a subset of people and then you try and turn around and say oh well what about my freedom of speech it's like the whole thing the whole thing contradicts each other in in so many ways it's it's um yeah, it's it's almost Im- impossible to like. There's there's I know this goes back to one of the one of our earlier podcasts around you know comedy and you know what's what's what what's too far or you know that sort of thing and some of the stuff that I watched back in the eighties like Eddie Murphy and all that kind of stuff. Some of the things he used to do in there, I used to laugh along with it. I used to think it was hilarious at the time. Um, and you look back on it now and it's like yeah, yeah, no, that's that's totally not cool but you know it's it's a form of artistic impression and, and a form of freedom of speech so you know where where does the line where is the line draw drawn with that you know Dave Chappelle last year released some stuff uh, some stand-up shows on Netflix which had some really uh, uh, close to the bone material in it yeah, again the sticks you know, and stones episode was what, amazing yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, where do you again? Where's the line drawn? There is there a line? Should there be a line? Yeah. Well, also, you know, there's also that that kind of weird argument made that uh, 
people of a certain nationality or a certain race, color, creed, culture, whatever, whatever it is, they're allowed to say, uh, you know, they're allowed to say or make fun of themselves or their, their, their race, their color, their creed, their language, their culture. Only they're allowed to because that's part of their identity. So no one else can appropriate that identity for, you know, for comedy. Yeah, that language, you mean? Yeah, that language or or kind of, you know, there's, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard, it's hard not to go there, but obviously it's like only certain people can say the N word. Um, Only certain people can say the N word at a hip hop concert, even if, 90% 90% of the people at the hip hop concert are white. Um, and it kind of feels like. I'm not signing that petition, Dan. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's, 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 you know, to some people that's double standards, to other people that's, that's nuance and context. And again, it's not, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's that 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 in itself is a is a is a weird one. Um, I mean, there's uh, I, I'm I'm not highly educated enough to to express the you know the the origins of the word itself and and um, you know black people's appropriation of it and what it means to them and why they use it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but. I, I couldn't explain it, but I kind of understand it, if that makes sense. And I kind of understand why it's why to some people it's okay for black people to use it and for others not to. Um, conversely, if I was at a concert and I was uh, if I was at a rap concert and there was a white guy next to me and he was singing every single one of the lyrics in in the tune <laughs> and said the N word like fifty seven times. I personally wouldn't bat an eyelid because in the context of what we're, what's where we are, that to me is important. It's like, yeah, you're singing along to an artist that you appreciate and, you know, what if honestly shouting N word at him, in which case, okay, fair enough, that's not cool. But you know what I mean? If you're, if in that, in that context, that makes sense to me and that, I don't have a problem with that. And that's just, that. And that's my feeling. I know there's artists who write lyrics and use the N-word and get upset when white people say the lyrics. I think Kendrick had a problem with someone that did it once at one of his concerts or something like that. And I, I was, I was, that was on the tip of my, that was on the, t- I was just about to bring it up. Uh, yeah, I Kend- actually was, Kendrick- des- yeah, I'm keen to, that was a fascinating scenario. Do you guys remember what had happened in that? I don't remember the uh, details, but I I, 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 I loosely remember that it was something around what I was just speaking about, around like a white guy said the N word, while well, so they were singing along at a concert or something like that, and, and well, Kendrick yeah, called well, him out. Well, or, well, I think well it's or funny because you talk about yeah, so with the, it's talking about the N word, and I actually I think that it, it's a word that has had its evolutions over the years. Over the several hundred years, it has evolved so many times. And I think it's currently in a new state of evolution that I don't think people are fully kind of aware of, because I think there's now a generation of people 
who don't have any context of the history of that word. It's a word that they've always heard in pop culture from hip hop mm. to, 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 to movies, to stand up. It's just a word that they hear almost in an affectionate context and they have no concept yeah, of the history of that word. And the Kendrick situation was just was, was fascinating because he had, he's, you know, he's Kendrick Lamar. He's performing to arenas and stadiums. He had, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but it was from his good kid, mad city album. And he's, he said, who in the crowd wants to come up on stage and do the chorus to this song? A teenage mm. white girl jumps up and down, puts her hands up. She wants to do it inexplicably he pulls her on stage knowing that the words in the chorus have the n-bomb in it like 10 times i don't know why he would pull her up on stage he pulls her up on stage she then he really he kind of did so he does his verse it goes to the chorus she does it drops the n-bomb he stops and says hang on hang on hang on we need you you're great but you we got to change one thing but the most fascinating part of it is in the in the in that moment she was oblivious because he said okay stop 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 she said what's wrong bro i'm not cool enough for you he said no you're fine but you're saying one word that you shouldn't say and then she said oh my gosh did i say it it was the fact that she's on stage in front of thousands i imagine people in front of kendrick and she's freely dropped this word which yeah people of our generation is that's a shocking thing to have happened but mm. for her it was what's wrong and there was mm. so much stuff online about it people said she's she's a racist and she's this and that no. and someone said she could have censored it she could have censored herself but she chose to say the word and show who she is i remember somebody wrote that and i thought well that's just the best kind of racist isn't it because if you're gonna learn every hip-hop record and buy the, your music <laughs> then attend every concert <laughs> just so that someone's gonna just so the artist is gonna pull you up on stage and ask you to do the course for, for that one that yeah, in a million opportunity exactly yeah. the one no, in a billion opportunity that someone's gonna ask yeah. me to do that i didn't think it was racism but i thought it was ignorance of the highest order because she's just completely oblivious and i think she represents a generation that was just completely oblivious and that was yeah this goes back to my point of context it's like you know in that moment you're singing along those lyrics you're not even necessarily identifying with the lyrics you're just like i, I can sing along to i don't know uh an alanis set song singing about women's love lost love or whatever it is i'm i don't i necessarily identify with what alanis morissette is what? saying i just like the lyrics of the song oh, or, do you know what i mean so it's you it's not, not. <laughs> you can't you can't sing those songs dj <laughs> I, can sing what, I can sing whatever the fuck i want freedom of speech baby um but uh, <laughs> wow isn't it ironic Oh, <laughs> there you go. My, there he is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's and, and again, like I say, it's different for different people. Like Kendrick took Umbridge to it, and you know, I would have, I as maybe to for a bit of social conscience, maybe the argument stands that she should have censored herself because there is a possibility that people would say you as a white girl can't say these things. For me personally, you know, if she said it, then whatever, you're, you're singing a rap tune, that's the lyrics, you know, go at it, go nuts, mm. treat yourself. 
I personally wouldn't have a problem with that. But again, different people have their own different set of values and morals and levels of what they're willing to accept and what they're not willing to accept. And, you know, it that's, and then this is why the concept of freedom of speech, again, to go back to my original point is an ideal is I don't think they say something that you can get perfect. I don't think it's something that you can necessarily enforce to a degree of, um, I don't know, um, perfection, uh, or I don't know. It's, I mean, you can, it's an ideal for people to, to aim for, you know, you should be able to speak freely, but to a certain extent you can't, that's the reality of the situation. Um, you can speak freely, but you can expect also to be challenged and possibly punished for it, depending on what state of social conscience, um, the society you're living in is at, at that time. Um, you know, things that were on TV in the seventies and eighties would never fly now because, you know, we're socially, we've evolved socially in a number of different ways. So, you know, you have to. A generational thing, because I think even for the three of us, it would be very difficult um, to express certain views to certain audiences and certain contexts. Even knowing what we know, you know, we we read enough, we watch enough, you know, we we look online enough to kind of be able to to pretty much understand much of what's going on culturally. But even I would say, if the three of us expressed a regular opinion on a daily basis, week in week out, we would we would eventually come unstuck because. It is so difficult to know what is the right way of saying something. What is what is the right word, or what word has has suddenly changed or taken on a new meaning? What what part of I don't know what what part of a um, culture person or persons have suddenly decided that something um, which was probably wrong all along is now completely wrong and can't be said. Because change on, you know, I think in the last five to ten years, things have changed massively. And for us as a generation, we can try and roll with the punches. But for people who are, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years older than us, they've got no chance. Yeah. yeah. No, I get what you're saying. And I think think there needs to be, I think there needs to be, to me, that's where you know there needs to be a level of willingness to to learn and adapt but also willingness to allow people to learn and adapt as well or to allow to have some level of grace when it comes to you know as these new these new as as society's language evolves and social consciousness evolves i think there does need to be a level of a, a certain level of tolerance. People talk about intolerance a lot, but there also needs to be a certain level of tolerance as well, because there are people who, you know, who don't want to offend people by what they say and do, and, you know, are willing to learn if given the chance to, but they get shot down so quickly due to people's, <laughs> ironically, due to people who complain about intolerance being intolerant 
that there's no sort of dialogue. There's no sort of, you know, back and forth between, you know, the, the, the people that are on the, that are the offended and the offenders, if you want to call it, if you want to look at it in that sort of way. That's a great point. Cause I, it's sort of that level of tolerance. I, I remember, I always think back to um, Donald Trump's, um, uh, campaign trail in 2016 2015 2016 um and i i remember he i remember thinking it was incredibly refreshing uh in as much as he went and said everything he shouldn't have said and i thought you know his his what he wanted to do with the the mexican border uh what he wanted to do with the the, the muslim ban of he never referred to it as that but he he listed seven countries he wanted to ban flights from coming in seven Middle Eastern countries. He wanted to ban flights from entering into the States. And they he just, listed all they these... just happened to be Muslim countries. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but he had, he what listed all these things. And I, I remember like, you know, each, you know, thing created more ire in the, in the States and he was accused of hate speech. But I remember thinking, I think it's really refreshing. And I say this as a Muslim, so I'm not distancing myself from like, oh, it's the States and I can objectively look at that. But I thought it was refreshing because I thought, well, surely this is what democracy has to be, isn't it? Because this is him saying, if you vote for me, these are the things that I would like to put in place as president. Do you know what I mean? And I did, I thought if yeah. this is what the caveat to everything that he's saying, you can't attack him for it. I mean, you can attack, of course you can attack your, of, of to, you know, people, everyone is totally free to respond to that. Uh, well, or, or are they? But the point is, I, I thought it was refreshing because I think politics in the UK walks an incredible tightrope of playing a, a, a political and media based game of don't offend, don't do this, straddle the line, don't don't reveal your hand. And I thought this guy who has no background in politics has come out and saying the most horrific things, but all mm. under the guise of if you vote for me, this is what I'll do. And I thought, well, that's an honesty that we've not had in poli- in, in Western politics. What well, I can't even think how long. There was the mm. uh, the leader of the Liberal Democrats. I, I forget his name, uh, but he was uh, probably in the last year or two years, and he was uh, renowned as a devout uh, uh, Christian and religious man. And he was um, uh, he had uh, he was quizzed persistently, consistently about his thoughts on gay marriage, and he would he refused to address it. He refused to say there because people were saying, "Well, you're so religious." what what are your thoughts on gay marriage would you stand with the church or do you think it should happen and he was like well you know blah 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 and he avoided it avoided it avoided it and i remember thinking just say it like whatever it is just because uh, otherwise your 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 campaign is a lie you're presenting yourself in a false narrative if if you if you're opposed to it then just say it do you know mm. what i mean like, obviously it ended <sighs> up being his undoing and he ended up having to you know step down as a result but i think i just kind of crave that in politics it's like you know, rather you be honest and tell, yeah, just, rather you be yeah, honest and upfront about, yeah. Uh, if you're gonna be racist, that has to be, be racist. Democracy is. Yeah, <laughs> if you're gonna be racist, or you're gonna be a bigot. The theory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I take the complete opposite to that because people in politics, they they have to toe the line because they they are you know they are accountable, you know, for for so much. You know, people look to them for guidance. They look to them for, you know, for almost like a level of morality. Because in this country, um, you know, we're pretty much a secular society where, you know, th- there aren't a lot of, of, 
of kind of strong, you know, religious guidance and grounding to tell people how they should treat one another. And you kind of look to politicians to sort of walk that line, which kind of encourages, um, you know, a strong level of tolerance and to basically not, not just kind of mouth off what you think, you know, to, to kind of edit yourself and to kind of, you know, take that extra breath and, and show some kind of restraint and reservation. Because if even if you do hold an opinion that, you know, that, that you, were, you were brought up to believe a certain thing, like you were brought up to kind of, you know, your mum and dad told you that, that, that gay marriage is, is not an acceptable thing, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if, if you go the other way, like, like it has in America, it just means that there's now hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people in America who all had, I don't know, an underlying sense of mistrust or what's the word that, that, you know, right wing leanings where they, you know, they, they don't like certain people for certain reasons. And that's been bubbling under the surface. And then you get someone like Trump who just basically lifts the lid on that and says, you know what, everyone do exactly what you think, what you feel. Don't, don't bother taking a second thought. If you hate someone for whatever reason, tell them, you know, I, I encourage you. So I, I nurture your hate, your intolerance, your prejudice. Just come forward with it. If that's how you feel, that's how I feel. Look at me. I say exactly what I think. Um, it, it's not refreshing. It's dangerous. There were no, there were no police killings. There were no police killings uh, that were caused as a result of what th- of things that Donald Trump said. Uh, unarmed uh, uh, black men and women who were shot and killed and beaten and attacked and pulled over. That none of those happened as a result of Donald Trump. Do you know what I mean? America has its problems and it needs to be confronted. And I think what Donald Trump has done has has confronted it. But I don't think it's certainly not in a good way. And I don't think it what I didn't mean in essence to praise his message. I praise the honesty of him not towing a political line. I know in any way, but America has its problems and needs it needs to atone for its sins in a hundred different ways. But I just I don't. It's it put, hasn't in terms of it's brought, it's brought to the surface a lot of things that are bubbling under that needed to yes. come to the surface, and it's made it's made them face the ugly side of what it is to be yeah. American. Whereas yeah. perhaps if it had been another middle of the road politician. This stuff would continue to keep bubbling under the set. I can, I kind of get where you're coming from with with uh, with that, and I, I think there's, I think maybe there is an element of truth. I mean, I guess we'll see how it shakes out, you know, after the elections and and going on for the next few years to see if it actually has made a real difference to to um, to people's lives in America for good or for bad. I'm not quite sure how it's going to go, but my only issue with that is sorry it would be refreshing if it wasn't just all done on party lines like if someone republican agreed with someone democratic you know yeah you know i think that side of things would be refreshingly honest you you get a little bit of it in british politics and, and it kind of um you, you saw people cross party lines over brexit but it doesn't happen very often. That 
that I could see as a refreshing honesty where people, rather than towing the party line, actually sort of said, you know what, I'm going to go with what I believe in and what I think rather than what my party believes in. But I think I, th- oh. I think my only pro- my only problem with equating that to Donald Trump is I'm not sure how much of it was actual honesty and how much of it right. was that was him playing into a role that um, would lead him to get to where he want where he wanted to be because you remember this this is the same guy that was a Democrat not that long ago mm. um, and. You know, and a lot of the things, you know, a lot of the things that he said, if you look how he, how he operates and, and what he's, what he's done, the things he's pushed through and, and the way he's, he's, he's basically sold himself to the American, to, to a section of the American public to get an emotional response and to get people motivated enough to go out and, and, uh, and, you know, all the, the, the tons of rallies that he did, like he, he got uh, declared president and was back on the rally, um, the rally trail not that long after just after he got his uh just after he'd been confirmed president his his to me it's i'm not so i'm not overly convinced about how much of the things he says he truly believes in mm-hmm. as opposed to him saying things to get what he to get what he wants to you know to yeah. get people's votes to get people's and 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 if it was if it yeah, and and if if it was, if it was a a true right wing, this is what I believe. Um, this is how I this is how I believe the way America should work, and, and all that kind of stuff that I could kind of see um, as. And it, it it doesn't disprove the thing about you know bringing America's ugly side to the fore, but that I think you could turn around and say that would be a refreshing perspective. But the way Donald Trump's operated, I think, is very different from someone who actually wholeheartedly believes in what they're what they're saying and what they're doing and the way they're operating. But I, I so I get I get your your point, Imran. But I think because of the way Donald Trump, well, because it's Donald Trump essentially, and the guy is very much a, a one massive con man. <clears throat> uh, I'm not quite. I'm not wholeheartedly convinced that he is. Um, completely, you know, uh, completely believes in a lot of the things that he says or a lot of the things that he does. I think he does what he does to get to get where he wants to get to go. It, it's the rise of populism, which has happened yeah. across the cult of personality. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, it's basically, in some cases, triggering minorities. But those minorities are active and they vote and they shout the loudest and they rally. And it happened with Brexit. It, 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 you know, the whole part of the, the kind of the, the, the data, you know, the Cambridge Analytica kind of data that got, got scraped was they identified a fairly kind of in-between segmentation of society that, that had kind of fallen between the, 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 the cracks who weren't known for being particularly active when it came to voting, and what Bre- and what the you know the the Brexit Brexiteers did was say right how can we how can we activate that section of success, of society? What do we need to say? What do we need to do? 
that will get those people so angry, so triggered, so riled up, so emotional that they will get out and every single one of them will vote the way we want them to. And that's exactly what happened. And that is exactly what, what Trump is doing. He's, he's like, okay, right, I'm now, I'm now a Republican. So how do I, how do I energize uh, a very right wing conservative base? What are the triggers that I have to push and pull in order to get them to be as vocal and active and loud and out there as possible? Because I think, um, TJ, you said on uh, some previous communications that one of the reasons Hillary Clinton didn't win was because half, well, I don't know, not half, but uh, enough of her base didn't turn out. They were too complacent. Whereas, you know, Trump had had done exactly what he needed to with with the segments of society, you know, or, uh, yeah. you know. I mean, to me, you had, a, you had a combination of people who were complacent and thought, oh, uh, you know, there's no chance he's going to win. People who were like, oh, I don't really like Clinton, I don't really trust Clinton, uh, but I can't vote for the other guy, so I'm just going to abstain and assumed that Clinton was going to win anyway and didn't dream in, in the in the realms of anything that Trump would win. I think there's, there was a lot of that going on. And also a lot of people just didn't want to vote for a woman, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But Iman, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not attacking what you're saying. No, 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 I, I fully, yours is, no, it's, it's a fantastic point. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I, do, I do really think that, you know, there has to be a level of credit that goes to any kind of politician who will stand up there and rather from rather than reading from the pre-prepared cards that they've been given, actually genuinely just say what they think and what they feel and what they're promising, and people vote on that. Um, unfortunately, you know Trump, Trump was such a divisive figure. It it's very it's very difficult to kind of um, separate what what he really is, what he really believes, you know, and what is. This completely, he's created an alter ego, which is kind of led led on from when he was on the, you know, The Apprentice and on TV. He's kind of, yeah, as you said, TJ Coulter personality. I'm sure that there are plenty of things he said and done as president, which are really just him. You know, he, he just completely unedited on Twitter saying exactly what he feels. I mean, he tends to watch uh, Fox News and. 10 minutes you know 10 minutes later he will he will quote you know bleach kills the 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 virus <laughs> because he you know because he literally tweets what he reads on fox news so he's quite easy to to be guided um, i think i said on our last conversation that i i think donald trump is the the greatest trick the devil ever pulled i mean he's either a, a complete He's, he's either a, a, a genius, an evil, literally an evil genius, or he is a bumbling buffoon who has stumbled in to into scenarios where he's, you know, birthed a QAnon movement and awoken far right groups that have taken the over the states. I think it's a combination of two. I think he's a bumbling genius. Chris not too dissimilar to this. You know, yeah. everyone thinks of him this kind of lovable bumbling buffoon but if you actually kind of 
you know, analyze his his route to the top. He knew exactly what he was doing every step of the way. And he just took, he just picked his moment. He just chose his time, you know. And the guy is incredibly intelligent and has done, you know, I, I applaud the way he's managed to find his way to the top. Um, I don't think he particularly uh, wants to stay there because, um, you know, COVID. Hard, hard work. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Post-Brexit Britain is not fun. It's not the sort of government that I, I think he, he saw himself presiding over. So, he's uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to see um, what happens next. But, yeah, I think, I, think, I hope at least that, that Trump isn't quite as um, intelligent. I think uh, it, I, yeah. I, I always get the impression that, that Trump is... I think he's very much an opportunist. He's able to, to sweet talk people and get people to do, do what he wants to, to, uh, and he knows, he knows how to talk to the right people at the right time. But I also feel like he is driven by his ego and his, and his emotion. And that, and those are that, those that, if he was more, slightly more calculating and, and more controlled, he'd be very, very, very dangerous. At the moment, he's just mm. very dangerous. But I, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I always feel like I always feel like the thing that stops him from being an absolute, you know, megalomaniac killer would is is his lack of uh, emotional restraint. Because um, I think that catches him out. That's caught him out in a few things, um, and has kind of turned a lot of people off of him. That like. <clears throat> a lot of that middle America that that voted for him the first time round, I think a lot of them are being turned off from him because of his, you know, uh, emotional instability. Also, I think things now are affecting their pockets directly from his oh, yeah. handling of coronavirus and things like that. Oh, yeah, Before sure. it was all things that didn't affect them. Uh, he was a businessman who was going to run the country and bring millions in into it. And I think now it's in a situation where it's, it's fighting for its, you know, fighting to get back to its feet and um, it's people's direct businesses are being impacted. And I think they're getting a different perspective on him uh, kind of as a result of that. Um, kind of to harken back to a comment I made earlier about, you know, certain countries uh, like uh, Russia, China, uh, North Korea as as kind of where that where the notion of freedom of speech means that you you we could ne- that we, you could never have this conversation over there in a podcast that we're going to freely put out to people to listen to, you know, <laughs> in these no. countries, the very notion of, so, I mean, I guess I, it's made me just what we've been talking about over the last say 15 minutes has really made me reconsider. Cause I used to think freedom of speech was something that didn't exist. It couldn't exist in its natural, in its sort of natural definition, but the very con- way that we're having this conversation, you know, um, and the fact that we have the freedom to do that, I, I, I think in a way, kind of conclusive proof that it does exist i remember jimmy carr and i'll never forget this i remember when jimmy carr's taxes came into uh to, to question or came to light about how he had been finding money <laughs> in certain ways uh, <laughs> what a brilliant impression allegedly um, i remember I know, no, david cameron no no yeah it was totally full-on yeah he <laughs> well however he was legally loopholing it um i remember david cameron made a who was 
prime minister at the time, he made a comment about, you know, sort of like, come on, Jimmy, do the right thing kind of thing. And I remember Jimmy Carr on eight out of 10 cats or uh, it was on that show, that one or the countdown version that they do where he referenced it and he openly called David Cameron, who was the current sitting prime minister. He referred to him as a C-U-N-T. And I remember the shock of hearing him say that. Well, the point is the fact that he can go on national television and A, he can say it. The fact that the network didn't even censor the word. They didn't say, we can't air that. The fact that it didn't make a single drop of noise in the paper the next day as well. You know, and I remember just being just bewildered the fact that he could do that. And again, like the aforementioned countries where, you know, Putin has people assassinated for for considerably worse. Can you imagine that someone tried to do that on a Russian show? Death. Well, the idea that he could do it on Russian television as well. Do you know what I mean? Which is just, it's it's impossible. Really good point. And I think also someone like uh, a Man United player like Marcus Rashford can get enough... Questioning the uh, government. Yeah, exactly. Enough interest from from social media to put pressure on the government to actually, albeit not completely change their policy, but he managed to get them, you know, in the summer to to, to do a complete U-turn on, you know, funding school meals for people... Right you know, during... Good lad. Plays the wrong team, but it's good lad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that is, there's an aspect of, that's the good side of freedom of speech. You know, he went out there um, to, you know, I I guess being that he's a footballer, you know, he, he used his kind of celebrity status for good and he used his voice and his opinion you know, to actually affect change. And I think, you know, that's another fair example of freedom of speech does exist um, in a certain context and, you know, has has a positive outcome. Like I say, I think the ideal ideal of freedom of speech, I think, is is alive and well in, uh, in many parts of the world, in other parts of the world, not so much, obviously. But I think as an ideal and a way of kind of, uh, living life in a civilized society, I think it's I think it's definitely uh, definitely a, a thing. But obviously, that comes with caveats as well. So it's not just a go out there and say what the fuck you want. You can if you want, just expect to get slapped for it. That's that's uh, this is interesting because yeah, I think my my opinion of of what freedom of speech, um, you know, whether or not it existed, I think has changed throughout this conversation. Uh, which is great. That's that's what I love about these things. I like being, I like having an an idea and having it challenged, and uh, it going some way to almost changing my mind as well. So I'm I'm really happy we had this conversation. I'm really really happy about. It. So can I just drop the the C and N bomb now, and then uh, when you end up censoring this because you always censor <laughs> everything I say because there is no freedom of speech and we're all being controlled by the man. No, no. You no no. You have the freedom to say whatever you want to say. I have the freedom to edit it accordingly. <laughs> yes, the freedom to edit. Uh, thank you very much. I, I yeah, I've, I've massively enjoyed the episode today. Um, so I guess 
to surmise, uh, if I may, I guess while we acknowledge, you know, everyone has those inverted commas rights to kind of say what they want to say when they want to say it, uh, I guess a little consideration towards a, a others, kind of those those people impacted by things that we or people kind of say or be consideration to those that just don't have those rights. Um, and I guess uh, ultimately, I guess we all need to consider what our voice, our, our freedom of expression ultimately says about us as individuals as well. So uh, that's been another episode of um, the Close Encounters of the Nerd. Kind of thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, podcast episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month. Uh, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time, friends. Bye-bye. Cool. See ya.